Good morning, everyone. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Chris. Uh, I'm one of the leaders here, lead the leadership team here at the church. And um, we're going we're gonna to start a new series. It's a three-week series, which we're going to start today called uh, Dare to be Daniel. And this really fits in and flows in uh, with our theme for 2020, which really is all about how we can live out our faith in a modern world without compromise. Because you see, this is going on and off a little bit. Life is a series of choices, yes? How many would you agree with me? Life is a series of choices. Where you are now and who you are now is really the sum total of all the decisions that you've made in your life. Now, I know there are certain things that are outside of our control, but, you know, essentially, that's where we are. The biggest decision, I guess, that we all get to make in life is, will I follow Jesus? That's the biggest question at some point that we're all faced with. Now, listen, I want to say to you, if you're a Christian, don't switch off. Don't assume that because I've asked that question that I'm just speaking to non-Christians. Actually, I'm speaking to you this morning. Uh, Because you may be saved. You may be a churchgoer. You may have received the grace and the forgiveness of God. You may be a Christian this morning. But the sad truth is that not all Christians follow Jesus. Newsflash. Not all Christians follow Jesus. And I want to challenge you today because even though you may have received forgiveness, even though you may call yourselves a Christian, for many of you, that doesn't have any bearing on your life. Or for many Christians, that doesn't have any bearings on your life. Let me give you an example. Those of you that know me know that I am a Manchester United supporter. (laughs) You sinful people that don't believe, yeah. Okay, I'm a a Man United fan. Or am I? Or am I? I've seen Man United play probably twice, three times in my life. Okay, I don't support them in any way. I don't go to away games. I don't buy a season ticket. If I have time, I will watch them. If I don't have time, I won't. I will follow their result, but I won't necessarily follow the team. But I'll have my opinion on the way that they play. You see, it's a one-sided relationship. So many of us can walk our Christian faith in the same way. And so that's really what my challenge is to you today. Because many of us... We are Christians and we go to church and we do all the Christian stuff. We're saved, but we haven't really surrendered our lives to God. And when it starts to cost us something to serve Jesus, that's when we're kind of, I'm out of here. I'm a Christian. Get me out of here. You know, it's getting too hot to handle. And and we back off and we just kind of move away from really serving God. And so I want to go back to that question to that question to all of us today. Will you be a follower of God? Will you truly be somebody who is wholehearted for God? Will you dare to live for God in the same way that Daniel did? Because we're going to look at Daniel. We're going to look at how Daniel was able to live wholeheartedly and fully for God 
in a culture that was godless, in a culture that was not supportive of his faith. And yet not only did he survive it, he actually was a positive influence in his society. And so over the next three weeks, we're going we're gonna to look at different aspects of that. I'm going to kick it off this week. Usha's going to continue next week. And, and then Stuart's going to round it off in a couple of weeks' time. So we're starting off this thing because I believe that Daniel is a powerful model for us. He was a young man who kept himself pure, and yet he engaged with his culture and became a major influencer of his day. He started off as a slave. He started off as somebody that was just brought in in exile and in imprisonment. And he ended up becoming one of the most powerful people in the nation and a real influencer for good. How did he do that? We want to look at that over the next couple of weeks. You see, he didn't isolate himself from his society as some would. But neither did he assimilate himself into the culture. He found a way in which... He could, he could engage with what was going on around him and yet keep himself pure and keep himself holy. Daniel's situation closely parallels ours today, doesn't it? For most of Daniel's life, he lived as part of a minority community in a majority pagan culture. Does that ring any bells for you this morning? Okay, and, and I'm not casting any assertion, casting any judgment on the culture or the society that we're in, but we know that, 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 that God is being squeezed out every week, every month, every year that passes. He never had the luxury of living in a nation surrounded by people who believed the same things that he did. And he had no control over that. He couldn't avoid it. We can't avoid the society that we're in, but he found a way to work within it to fulfill his destiny and to outwork God's plan for his life. And that's a real challenge for us today. How should we live in a world where believers are outnumbered and it feels as if we are overwhelmed? We have little control over this. So what are we going to do? Are we going to give up or are we going to live up? That's really the message this morning. Are you going to give up and just capitulate and just assimilate into the culture and just get into the shadows and into the background and not stick your head above the parapet? Or are you going to be the one that just is always complaining and always moaning? We've had that already this morning. Or are we going to be the kind of people saying, I'm not going to give up, but I'm going to live up. I'm going to start living up for Jesus. I'm going to start living up for God. And as we see in Daniel's life, God did an amazing thing. And brought him into an incredible place. Let me give you a quick overview of Daniel's life. Here we go. Number one. Daniel lived approximately 400 years after David and 600 years before Jesus. Next one. The book covers the period of 605 BC through to somewhere around about 530. Okay. Next one. Daniel enters the story aged 15. But by the end of the book, Daniel is somewhere in his 90s. It's really interesting. I was always brought up in Sunday school to believe that when Daniel went into the lion's den, he was a young man. The likelihood is because he was under Darius when that took place, that was a latter part of his life, he was probably 70 or perhaps even 80 when that actually took place. Next one. He serves under a succession of Babylonian and Persian rulers. And we'll look at that in just a moment. Let me give you a little bit of historical context as we come to Daniel chapter 1. Give us the next one. 
Okay, first thing is this, 605 BC, King Nebuchadnezzar, um, he advances on Judah, okay? Uh, on the way, actually on the way, he defeats the Egyptians at the famous battle called Carchemish, and, and really that was the end of the Egyptian um, uh, dynasty really at that time. It was the end of their, of their impact, it was the end of their role, it effectively meant the end of the, the Egyptian empire at that time. Okay, this was the first rebellion. Judah rebels against Nebuchadnezzar in 6005, sorry, 605 BC. As a result of that, Nebuchadnezzar uh, grabs a whole bunch of the best, the prime people in Judah and he exiles them out to uh, Babylon. And then we have the second rebellion. Okay, sorry, so Jehoiakim, who was the king of Judah, decides not to make a fight of it, and he subsequently surrenders, okay? So then Nebuchadnezzar takes all the best of the people, and he takes them back to Babylon. And then in uh, 598 BC, we have the second rebellion. Judah rebels again. Nebuchadnezzar comes again, and he crushes that rebellion, okay? Then in 586 BC we find the third rebellion. Judah once again rebels against Nebuchadnezzar. This time, Nebuchadnezzar and the armies of, of Babylon, they come and they, they completely destroy Jerusalem and they take everybody into exile. Now, Daniel and his three friends, okay, they were all part of the first deportation. They were in Babylon when all of this stuff was going on. Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. You will know them better as Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. We'll get to that in just a moment. So here's the historical context then. Okay, they are now in exile. But uh, Nebuchadnezzar sees an opportunity in all of this. Rather than just enslaving the best of the best, he decides, actually, if I could assimilate them into my culture, if I can make them part of us, they will be far more useful and far more valuable to us than just by enslaving them. So he calls in the... If we go on to the next one, thanks, uh, Lex. Um, so, so operation assimilation is what I've called it, okay? He begins this operation assimilation. He realises that rather than just enslaving these people, if he can assimilate them, then they will be much more valuable. So he calls in his head of human resources, a man called Ashpenes, and uh, he starts a three-year plan of identity reassignment. Okay, and the idea was to assimilate these people into his culture. It was a complete reprogramming of their mind, their values, and their allegiances. How many of you feel that in our world today, there seems to be an agenda to reprogram the way that we think, what our values are, and what our priorities are? Well, this was very, very intentional. This was laid on these young boys as they came into Babylon. And the idea was to make them as Babylonian as the Babylonians were. That was Nebuchadnezzar's goal. If I could assimilate them, if I can get them to think our way, get them to believe our way, then they will be incredibly valuable. They even changed their names uh, for this. I think it's the next one, is it, Lex? Uh, okay, yeah. So there's, there's, there's four things. If you just keep going through and for us, Lex, sorry, I think I may have changed this a little bit. So there's a new location. It's isolation. There's a new knowledge, indoctrination. There's new names, which brings confusion. There's a new diet, which was aimed at bringing compromise. 
The names were changed. If we go to their names, Daniel's name was God is my judge. All of those three young men were named after the God of Israel. So Daniel is God is my judge. He was changed to Belshazzar, which means Bel will protect. Bel was in a Babylonian God. Just whip through them for us. Thanks, uh, Lexi. Uh, Hananiah, God is gracious. Mishael, who is like our God? Azariah, God is my helper. Their identity, their name was wrapped up with the Jewish God, the God of Israel that they served. And in each case, their name was changed to reflect a Babylonian God. So even in their names... In their education, in the way that they think, this was a reprogramming course. Operation Assimilation. That's the environment that these three young, four young men find themselves in. We can relate to some of that. We just get bombarded with stuff, don't we? Particularly over the last two to five years, you know, just some of the, some of the, the, the things that are being said, some of the values, some of the priorities now that are being raised, it makes it really hard to stand up and be different, doesn't it? Well, these guys, they face this all the time. But let me say something. This fast track to success wasn't all bad. Okay, true, they were God-fearing Jews. They'd been ripped from all that they'd known. And they were being trained to serve a pagan king. It was true that they were now going to be immersed in Babylonian culture for three years. But there were some upsides. They got a top university education. Okay, they went to the university, you know, the university, the state university of Babylon, which was like the Oxford or the Cambridge of the ancient world. They would have learnt science and maths and literature and astrology and commerce and history. They would have been, they would have been taught to a far higher level than the average Babylonian would have been. That would have helped them to get ahead. They had access to the king's all-you-can-eat buffet. Okay, so the king said, hey, you can have whatever you want from the king's table. You can eat like a king. You can have the very best and you can have as much of it as you like. And then, as we say, even their names being changed would have brought acceptance and respectability. So there were some upsides to this because they didn't have to go into a shop and and then when they told them their name, they go, oh, you're you're one of those Hebrew boys. We don't want to have anything to do with you. No, by giving them a Babylonian name, that gave, them, that gave them acceptance and it gave them respectability. So for many people in their world, for many people in their situation, this would have been considered a sweet deal. It was more than they could have ever hoped for. Imagine them on the way to exile from Judah to Babylon, wondering what the future was going to be. Because exile was all about servitude. It was all about slavery. It was all about being completely controlled. You, you belonged to the people that you were serving. And, and so, you know, being ripped out of their home and on the way to Babylon, you can imagine, oh, this is going to be awful. This is going to be terrible. Then they get there and the king of Babylon says, hey... I've I've enrolled you in the best university in the country. I've given you access to my free-for-all, you-can-eat buffet. I've given you a new name so that you can be accepted and respectable. It wasn't all a downside. But this is what gave Daniel his dilemma. Okay, Going into exile meant oppression, but it also meant opportunity. So he had on one side the side that he has to resist the opposition, but he's also got to resist the temptation. 
Because the only ones that we read about who didn't go that route was Daniel and his four friends. Don't forget, there would have been many other young prime people that would have been taken. And many of those would have said, hey, this is a good deal. Let's go for it. So it wasn't just resisting the culture in the sense of I'm going to stand because they're trying to impose it. It was also this other side of the thing, which is like, this looks really good. I could have a good life here if I would only assimilate to the mindset, the worldview and the culture that is around me. And so David, uh, sorry, Daniel has two options. Option one is to resist the Babylonian regime and end up in prison or die or it was to capitulate and assimilate and just go for it and get the best that he could out of it. But Daniel finds a third option. That in God there is always a third option. Do you know that? You know when it only looks like I've only got that bad route and that bad route, God always gives a way out. God always gives a third route. And this is what we're going to look at for the next few moments this morning. It was engagement without compromise. So I've got four keys for you that I want to drop into your heart and I hope that these will really help you uh, this morning from chapter one of Daniel. And the first thing is this. Now, don't worry about the grammar. His heart was won before the test begun. His heart was, say that with me, his heart was won before the test begun. In Daniel chapter one and verse eight, when Ashpenaz comes to him, and says to him, hey, you've been selected, you know, you can, you know, you, you've got access to the king's table, you can eat whatever you want, the very best of food, prepared by the best chefs, you know, prepared by all the, you know, all the best. The master chef's got nothing on, on what we've got here. This is the very best that you can have in the whole wide world, you've got access to it. It says this in verse 8 of Daniel chapter 1, but Daniel had purposed in his heart, had, past tense, purposed in his heart that he would not defile his God. He had already made that decision. Now, I don't know when he made that decision. He may have made it on the way to Babylon. He may have made it just a few moments when he realised where this thing was going down. But at some point, David purposed in his heart before the test begun that he was not going to defile the Lord. He was not going to defile his identity and who he was. In other versions, it says he had decided or he had determined beforehand that he would not defile the Lord. Now, of course, this was said in response to the food, but it indicates a much much bigger and larger life goal for Daniel. No matter what his circumstances were, no matter what pressures were going to come his way, no matter what opportunities were going to come his way, no matter what rewards were on offer for him, Daniel purposed in his heart that he would live wholeheartedly for God, even if it cost him his life. We'll hear a bit more about that in the next week or two. You see, the best decisions that we can ever make are made in the cold light of day. They're not made in the heat of the battle. Did you know that? You can purpose in your heart now that this week I'm going to live for God. Then when those things come, you're not in the, oh, should I, shouldn't I? No, I've already purposed in my heart to do so. I believe that this was the key to Daniel's success. I believe that this set the tone and set the, and set the direction for the rest of David's life, for the next 80 or 90 years. And all of the things that he ever achieved in life flowed out of this conviction in his heart that no matter what comes my way, I have determined in my heart, I'm going to honour God and not defile him. 
How many of you have made that decision? This is why I go back to what I said at the beginning. You may be a Christian this morning. You may have accepted forgiveness this morning. You may be a churchgoer. You may you know, love God and, and know God and you enjoy the good times. But there are times when tough times come. And it's in those moments when we have to say, no, I have determined in my heart I'm going to go God's way. No matter what the attraction, no matter what the pull, no matter what the pressure is being put on me, I am determined that I'm going to honour God with my life. The power of that one decision that shaped the rest of Daniel's life is absolutely amazing and incredible. And it set him on a journey that has been chronicled for centuries since. His story is famous, isn't it? The story of Daniel is famous, Daniel in the lion den and the three friends. And, you know, it's famous even two and a half thousand years later. Why? Because I believe this one thing. He'd already won the battle in his heart. He'd already given his heart to God. And there was nothing that Nebuchadnezzar and nothing that the culture that he was in could change. Daniel may have been surrounded by the spirit of Babylon, but he was filled with the spirit of God. We can be surrounded by all kinds of cultural you know, precedents and, and worldviews and mindsets and rational thinking and uh, you know, relative moralism and all of those kind of things. But we can still be filled with the Spirit of God and we can live in a way that will honour God in everything we do. That was the first thing. The second key is this. He knew this and it was this. God is always in control of those who are in control. Say that with me this morning. God is in control of all those who are in control. You see, to everybody around looking in, it looked like Nebuchadnezzar was calling the shots. I mean, it was Nebuchadnezzar that went and raided Judah. It was Nebuchadnezzar that chose the men. It was Nebuchadnezzar that put them on this path. It feels as if he was the one that was pulling the strings and calling the shots. But the reality is that God was in this right from the very beginning. Just look at the way that God orchestrated events to fulfill his purpose. Number one, it was God who put them into the hands of the Babylonians. Babylonians. Daniel chapter 1 verse 1, And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim king of Judah into his hands. Interesting wording. It didn't say that the Babylonians conquered them. It says God surrendered them. God had a plan. God had a purpose. God was behind it. God had a plan for Daniel, but it meant he had to get Daniel into Babylon to fulfill that plan. We have to see that God's, God's plans are higher than our plans. God's ways are higher than our ways. And we might think that we're locked into a really negative, bad, dark situation. And God says, hey, this is part of my bigger plan because I'm the one pulling the strings here. We have to be confident God is pulling the strings in your life. Your job, your boss, your finances, your relationships, they're not pulling the strings in your life, or they shouldn't be. God's behind it all. and God is orchestrating his events and, and outworking his plan. God has a plan in every situation. We've already talked about it this morning. Whatever situation that you are in right now, that's part of God's plan. It might be to grow you. It might be to test you. It might be to, 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 so that you can learn something in him. But we've got to trust the plan 
that we're in. Secondly, it was God who gave Daniel favour with Ashpenaz in chapter 1, verse 9. It actually says those words. Now, God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel. Ashpenaz has no reason to do that. He was a servant of the king like everybody else. And if somebody, you know, if somebody objected to that and somebody rebelled against that, he would take the king's side. There was no reason for him to show favour to Daniel whatsoever. But God gave Daniel favour. The very opposite of what was being expected. And somehow in all of that, Ashpenaz was impressed with Daniel's integrity. He was impressed with Daniel's honesty. He was impressed with the fact that Daniel was not going to compromise what he believed. We see the same, don't we, in Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. When they stand before the king and they say, you know, whether we die or whether we don't die, we will not bow to you because we are servants of the Most High. Let me tell you something. God will bring favour into your life when you live fully for him. He will bring people who will favour you. He will bring people who will open doors for you. He will bring people into your world that will open opportunities and places and people and finances into your life when you live fully for him, when you determine in your heart that you're going to serve him. Thirdly, it was God who gave Daniel the ability to interpret dreams. It says in verse 17, of chapter 1. To these four young, young men, God gave the knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning. And to Daniel, he gave him the ability to understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Fascinating. God allows him to be in this situation, but gives him the gifts to get out of it. Because God had a plan and God had a purpose. But for God to outwork that purpose, he had to get Daniel into Babylon. Because he couldn't outwork his purposes about influencing the future of Babylon if he didn't get Daniel in there. Got to see the bigger plans of God. Got to stop complaining. We had that word this morning. We've got to stop complaining about how hard it is to reach our generation and start saying, God, what gifts have you given me? You've placed me in this culture, you've placed me in this generation. You've placed me in my workplace. You've placed me in my neighbourhood. You've placed me in my school. You've placed me in my university. You've placed me where I am. And it looks tough and it looks like everything's just pressing in to make me more like them. God, what gifts have you given me that I can use? That's the question we need to be asking. Because where God has a purpose, he has a plan. Where God has a purpose, he has a plan. And we know Jeremiah 29, 11 says God has purposes for our lives. Well, if God's got a purpose for your life, he's got a plan. And you're in it right now. And you might look around and go, well, this, don't, this plan don't feel very good. This plan doesn't feel very easy. This plan doesn't feel very nice. Hey, you've got to stick with the plan. And when you don't understand the purpose, you've got to stick with the plan. Turn to the person next to you and say, you may not understand the purpose, but stick with God's plan. Come on, let's preach it to one another this morning. You've got to trust the work of God. Daniel trusted the work of God. He knew that he was there because God wanted him to be there. He knew that God would put people around him. He knew that God would give him gifts so that he could excel even in a godless, pagan culture. That's amazing. 
Jesus never promised us an easy life, did he? For Daniel, suddenly everything that used to be right was now wrong, and everything that used to be wrong was now right. That's how we feel sometimes. We're in that kind of a world. Jesus never promised it was going to be easy. You know, the Bible promises us a blessed life. It doesn't promise us an easy life. Blessed and easy are not the same thing. Blessed and easy are not the same thing. The sooner we get that somewhere deep in our psyche, the better we're going to be able to respond. Here's the third thing. Daniel knew what battles to fight. So we come back to that verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. It's interesting, isn't it, that Daniel and his friends, they accept relocation, they accept re-education, they don't bulk at that, they even accept renaming, but they do not accept the new diet that they're being given. So what's the big deal here, Daniel? What's the problem with the food? I mean, you're already in Babylon anyway. You're already on the plan. Why not just go with the flow? Why rock the boat now? It's fascinating that what seems to me to be perhaps the least important issue of all of those issues becomes the important issue to Daniel. Let's look at why. Three reasons why. Firstly, the food wouldn't have been prepared according to the kosher laws of the Old Testament. It wouldn't have been food that had been that had been prepared in the way that the law asked it to be. Secondly, it's most likely that the food would have been previously offered to pagan gods. And then thirdly, to eat at the king's table and share at the king's table actually meant you were sharing in his values and, and you were showing allegiance to the king. So the deal here, this is not about food, because actually David says, you know, I don't really care about the food. Give me some vegetables, give me some fruit, and I'll be happy. It wasn't about him saying, I've got to have all the right food. This was about identity. This was about allegiance. There was something much more important going on here. And what he was saying is, hey, you Babylonians, you can change everything. My location, the culture around me, my education, my language, even my name, but you cannot change my allegiance. Daniel knew when it was time to stand up and say, this far and no further. You know, we get involved in so many superficial and secondary issues, don't we, as Christians? And we make big things out of small things and we ignore the big things that are important to God. We've got to learn to know what battles to fight and what battles not to because now this was striking at his spiritual integrity. All those other things he could handle wasn't against the law to have a different name. It wasn't against the law to have a different education, but it was against God's law to eat these things that were being sacrificed to idols. You can't change his culture, or you can change his culture, but you can't change his character. You can change his name, but you can't change his nature. You can change his diet, but you can't change his devotion. That's what David, that's what Daniel was saying. Daniel knew which battles to fight. And he was wise in what he accepted and what he rejected. Because here's the deal. He understood that not everything in his culture was bad. We've got to be careful, even as the Christian community or God's community or Christ followers, that we don't just see everything out there as bad. Actually, Daniel recognised that there were certain things out there that would actually help him. Learning the language helped him to communicate. Learning leadership and culture helped him to lead later on in his life. So he knew what to accept and he knew what to reject. So, so important. He asked, and, I, and I also reckon he was the best learner in the class. 
Can you imagine being the, the lecturer with all of those guys? I, he wasn't the one at the back with his feet on the table going, yeah, twiddling his pen, going, yeah, okay, I don't really care. I reckon Daniel was an avid learner. I reckon Daniel learned everything that he could about the culture and the people that were around him because he knew that God was going to turn that round and use it for his purpose and for his glory. Guys, we've got to find a way of being able to engage without compromise. Because God has placed some of you in incredible places of influence, in your work, in your community, in your families even. God has given you incredible authority and influence and, 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 and capacity to change your circumstances. But we've got to engage with it. We can't back off and say, oh, well, I can't do that because, you know, they're sinful people. That group down the road, they're sinful. They don't believe the same things that I believe. To use those things, and Daniel knew how to use those things. Let me tell you this as a thought if Daniel had resisted all of those things and had been the one that had put his hand up saying, No, I ain't gonna do that, no, I ain't gonna do that, no, I ain't gonna do that, he wouldn't have done because he wasn't from Essex. But let's assume that you know, if, if he had said those things, then maybe he would not have been able to be in the position that he was to change that nation. Guys, we've got to know how to work with this. Which brings me to my last point. Okay, and this is really, really important. I want you to grab this. Daniel won his battles by winning people. Daniel won his battles by winning people. Look at this. Read these words. You know, chapter 2, verse 46. I've gone out of chapter 1. Then Nebuchadnezzar fell prostrate before Daniel... Okay, the, the young slave boy that had been exiled and paid him honour and ordered that an offering and incense be presented to him. And then the king placed Daniel in a high position and lavished many gifts on him. He made him ruler over the entire province of Babylon and placed him in charge of all the wise men. That's amazing. In fact, when you read through the first few chapters of Daniel, you'll find that all of the main players at some point were won over by Daniel. And remember, he was just a young exile, slave boy. He was just the spoils of victory for Babylon. But just look at the favour that he won with people. I have got time to go into all of these. I don't know if they're on there. First one was Ashpenaz in chapter 1 verse... Yeah, with... Well, let's just go through them. Ashpenaz, Ariok, Belshazzar, Darius. He won them all over. Daniel chapter 1, verse 9, 246, 529, and 614, if you want the scriptures. Where these people of incredible authority and incredible influence and incredible power were won over by Daniel. Let me read this one. This, this one's amazing. In chapter 6, verse 14. This is after the famous, you know, the story of the lion's den. This is after that. Daniel comes out. It says, when the king heard this, he was greatly distressed. When he heard that, that Daniel hadn't done what, you know, they, they'd accused him um, of not, not bowing to the king and et cetera, et cetera. And, it's, and, and so the, the, the ones that were, that were plotting against Daniel said, he's got to go. You know, he's got to go. We've got to take him out because he's resisting you. It says this, when the king heard of this, he was greatly distressed. And he was determined to rescue Daniel and he made every effort until sundown to do so. The king said to Daniel, may your God whom you serve continually rescue you. 
Then the king returned to his palace and spent the night without eating and without any entertainment being brought to him. And he could not sleep. He really liked Daniel. He really kind of, you know, he favoured him. And at the first light of dawn, the king got up and hurried to the lion's den. And when he came near to the den, he called to Daniel in an anguished voice, Daniel, servant of the living God, um, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to rescue you from the mouth of the lions? Daniel answered, may the king live forever. My God has sent his angels and he shut the mouths of the lions and they have not hurt me because I was found innocent in his sight nor have I done anything wrong before you, your majesty. And here we go. And the king was overjoyed. The king was overjoyed. He won favour with the king of Babylon. Daniel really knew how to win friends and influence people. But here's the thing. Just as God gives favour to Daniel, in every single situation, Daniel gives the honour back to God. So by Daniel getting favour amongst the people, he gets an opportunity to bring honour and glory to his God. Everywhere Daniel went, he won favour and God was honoured. Again, Daniel Nebuchadnezzar, I've got, I've got scriptures here which I can't go into. Daniel gains favour and influence with these people. And in a godless culture, you have things like you have things like Nebuchadnezzar saying, Therefore I decree that the people of any nation and language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and Daniel be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For there is no other God that can save this way. This is a pagan God. This is a pagan God. This was a godless society. This was a godless culture. But through the favour that David, that Daniel got with the people, he was able to bring honour. And the people not only acknowledged God, but they actually worshipped God. They actually worshipped the God of Daniel, even in their situation. How did he do it? Let me give you a couple of really quick things before we're done. Daniel gains favour and influence through the way that he treated others. Firstly, he's respectful. He's respectful to Ashpenaz. He doesn't go, Ashpenaz, I don't want to have anything to do with your rotten, horrible culture. He wasn't making a judgement on the culture. He just simply said, hey, would you allow me to not defile myself? He was respectful to those that were in authority over him. You know, we don't have to be arrogant and self-righteous to stand up for truth. Daniel showed forgiveness and generosity to his rivals. In Daniel, in Daniel chapter 2, verse 24, when all of the, the magicians and all of the wise men could not interpret Nebuchadnezzar's dream, and so Nebuchadnezzar says, right, that's it, I'm going to kill all of you because you're all fake and I'm going to take you all out. Ariok comes to Daniel and says to Daniel, this is what's happening. Daniel says, hey, hey, he says, don't, don't let the king kill all of, the, all of the wise men. Let me go and interpret the dream. Now, if that had been me, I'd have been going, hey, let him go and kill because I'm the one that's got the answer. But Daniel is generous. Daniel is compassionate, even to his rivals, even to the people that would have put him down if they'd had a moment's chance to do so. Daniel says, hey, no, don't just save me. I've got the answer to this. I've got the dream interpretation. But don't just let it save me. Let it save all the others as well. See, that's how David gained favour. He showed submission to the authorities, even the bad ones. The amount of times he, he speaks to Nebuchadnezzar and to Belteshazzar and he says, hey, he says, um, my Lord, 
my king, oh great king. He uses these phrases. He recognizes their place of authority. See, humility is a sign of great strength and confidence. Submission demonstrates faith. When we submit even to our authorities, you know, Paul talks about it in Romans chapter 13. He says that the authorities that have been put over us have been put over us by God. And when we resist against the authorities that are over us, we resist against God. Those are strong words. That's exactly what Paul says in Romans chapter 13. So you'd be thinking, oh, that must have mean they were under a really kind and benevolent leader. No. Do you know who was leading the empire at that time when Paul wrote it? Nero. Probably one of the worst leaders you could have ever lived under. He was the one that was responsible for burning down Jerusalem and killing thousands and thousands and thousands of Christ followers. And yet Paul says, even Nero, show respect and submission to the authorities that are around you. Daniel did that. And by doing all of that, God gave him favour with the people. I believe God has called us to have favour with people. If we're going to win our culture, if we're going to be successful in our culture, if we're going to make a difference, if we're going to impact and influence our culture, then we have to be a people that are prepared to win people over. When was the last time you did something really good for your neighbour or your work friend or somebody around you and you blessed them with something and you showed kindness and you showed respect? Hey, let's start to build bridges Let's start to build bridges. Let's start to to, to use the opportunities and the giftings that God has given us so that we can be a blessing to those that are in our world. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Just stand with me. Because I believe this is really key. First of all, you need to nail your colours to the mast. David determined in his heart. Oh, I keep saying David. Daniel determined in his heart. I don't know I've got David on on my brain. Daniel determined that he would not defile his God. He determined that he was going to live wholeheartedly for God. Daniel knew that his God was in control of those that were in control. God is in control of your life. God is in control of every situation that's going on right now. It may not look like it. It may, not, it may look like God's out of control. We're going, God, you need to do something about this. But when you don't know the purpose, you've got to trust the plan. Daniel knew which battles to fight. He knew that he didn't just have to be the one that was known to be against absolutely everything. But actually he was for people. But there was a moment where he said no, this far and no further. He wouldn't compromise on his spiritual integrity or on his identity. But he would use those other avenues so that he could fulfill the purposes of God. And finally, Daniel won his battles by winning people. You look, if you read it, if you read through chapter 1, 2, 3 and 4, you'll just see how again and again everybody that he came up again. He just won their favour. They, they liked David, they, that Daniel. They loved him. They appreciated him. They honoured him. They valued him. Is that, the kind of, is that the kind of place that we have in our world? Is that the kind of reputation that we have? People want to give us favour, even though we don't agree with them, even though we don't live by the same standards, even though we believe something completely differently, we can still have favour of people. God's placed us in our world. We have no control over it, but we're here. But he has given us everything that we need to be a positive influence.